told you a long time ago, I understand my lane. I understand my lane. And I'm here for the elect's sake. That's my lane. I'm not in a, I, 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 that's, that's what I'm here to do. That's what God has set me aside to do. So don't get me confused with anybody else and don't make me conform to anybody else. I'm here for the elect's sake. And the Bible says that those that have been called by my name will respond. And, and how will they respond? To a teacher, Romans chapter nine. And so my job is to, is to say things that hopefully your ears will hear and understand and, and perk up. But here's what I need you to know. If you're called by God and saved, that he loves you. I come across a little deal. Jordan was about four and he was at the Indian school, the little Chickasaw school. And for Valentine's that he had a little cutout and they wrote mom, it's Mother's Day, said, mom, I love you more than, and they had to fill in the blank. It was a homemade card. And so Jordan brought the gala and it says, mom, I love you more than, and he wrote in there, lunch. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's a big deal. That's right up there. I mean, I love you more than lunch. You know, I've always, you know, it's just that food's been a comfort food. You know, he'd have a bad day at school. Somebody razzing on him when he's five, so I'd take him son and give him a couple foot long chili hot dogs, and we'd talk about it. You know, that's just what that's the way you do it. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, we talked about last week, that in John chapter 20, it was the, on the eighth day, the second time he goes into the upper room or underground, these disciples are hiding. It was on a Sunday. Now all 11 are there. Judas is gone. The first Sunday, there's only 10. Thomas is not there. He's trying to weed things out and figure things out. And I don't blame him. But now then seven days later, he moves into the upper room. And we found this out last week that the Bible says he breathed upon them, hipposeo. This is where the moment where we feel like that these men become born again. They were followers of God. They were followers of Christ. But at this moment, he breathed upon him. And it's the same word that's translated in Genesis chapter two, that God made a living man and he breathed upon him. And at that moment, that man become alive. Zoe is the word used in the New Testament. At that moment, man become uh, an inhabitant of the life of God. It's very possible for you to be here this morning. It's very possible you know people that are coming to church and leaving and coming to church and leaving and never experience the life of God on the inside. And as we said last week, that God said that I'm in the presence of man, but it didn't change him. I'm participating with man through Jesus, but it didn't change him. So what, I've, what have I got to do? I've got to possess man. I've got to go inside man. <clears throat> It's not enough for you to show up. It's not enough to participate with singing and playing and handing out turkeys at Thanksgiving. It's not enough. That is not enough to keep you upon this journey called life and the things of God. You've got to be possessed or in, inhale the things of God. It's a word called inspiration. It's called pneumatheos. It's God's breath. God breathed inspiration. 
So you say today, so I, I need to be inspired. I, I need the breath of God. And I'm glad you're here. So how do we get the breath of God? And, and don't confuse it because you're getting this idea that we just ask for the Holy Spirit to come and breathe. That's not the way the Bible said. It is the word of God that is it's the inspiration of God. It is the written word of God that is God's breath. That every time that we learn biblical principles, it's as if God himself is breathing into us. Quit studying the scriptures, quit learning, and you'll find yourself being suffocated. Because it's not just enough to breathe last week's breath. Oh, I learned that last year. Well, I'm glad you did, but I can tell you, you're turning blue today. And the thing about God, he's always moving. He's always changing. And when I mean changing, I mean evolving. Do I believe in evolution? Absolutely, but not the way that Darwinism says. But I believe we're constantly evolving from one glory to the next. Say, so we're evolving. We're we're being made. We, we, we that kind of seems weird, but we're going to use the word transforming, evolving, transforming, metamorphosis. We're changing from one thing to another, and so the purpose of the Holy Spirit we talked about last week. It's so important because if you don't know much about it, then it'll kind of spook you. Well, you know, there's nothing to be spooky about it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was designed to move inside man. God walked within man. Jesus participated with man, but they didn't change. It was only when the Holy Spirit began to move into man. Things began to change. Things change on the inside. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit this morning one of the purposes is found in three areas. Number one is to convict sinners of their sin. That's somewhere that a sinner for the first time smells the lid off their septic tank. And you smell yourself. And you say, I don't like the way that I'm living my life. But it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict sinners other sin. I didn't say sins. I said sin. And the original sin is, is a life that is without God. It's found in John 16, 8 through 10. The second one, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to call individuals into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. John 6, 44, he said, no man can come unless drawn by the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah says, as the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, Lord, that I'm drawn to you because of your goodness. The, the five minutes before I got saved, I want you to know that the lid of my septic tank was off and sewage was going everywhere out of my life. And I smelt it for the first time. And I knew at that moment I needed change. But I was raised in a godly home. I was sitting in the church house and I knew godly principles, but it could not change me. And it was that moment that I realized that it took something greater than just a set of rules to change me on the inside. I needed the presence of God to move into my life. And that's what is referred to as being born again. But the third one is to convince the righteous that we are righteous. So if you're righteous, please say I am. Oh, thank you. If you're righteous, please say that I am. Then you go, oh, that's kind of boring. I want you to know that it will require as much power and authority to convince you that you're righteous as it does to convince a sinner that he's a sinner.
I talked to a guy this week. He called me. Came to church here for a little bit. I had to move off. And I will tell you, three-fourths of the conversation was, I'm trying to remind him, you're still righteous. And he was raised in a different background and a different thinking. And that thinking was that you can lose your salvation. I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot lose your salvation because it wasn't yours to lose. <laughs> I grew up in a Assembly of God church. And I'll tell you, they convinced you every Sunday that you was a heathen and you got to get saved over and over and over and over and over and over. And they're, they're cuckoo. You can only be born again once. Now, after that, we may need a little attitude adjustment along the way. Every day that ends with why. We need to seek God. And I, I kept telling him, I said, hey, listen, you're righteous. You're forgiven. I know, but I don't feel. It doesn't matter what you feel like. God declares you right. So that's what I say to you. How many knows it takes the, a great power of the Spirit of God to, to you know, you went, you went around people, you knew people that you would say, you wrote down, this is the last person on the face of the earth that will probably be saved. They wrote it about you. But, but, but I will tell you, growing up, that somebody would say, Ham is the last person in our class that would probably give their life to Christ. Well, the, the, the greater the challenge, the greater the power. But what I'm getting at is that it, that it took the great power of God to convict us that we needed change in our life by the Holy Spirit. Agree? You, did, you didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll get saved. That does not happen. You don't decide anything on your own. It's God who calls. It's God who summons. It's God who draws. So what happens is it will take the same amount of power and authority to convince you that you're righteous, even when you don't look like it, act like it, or feel like it. Turn to somebody and say, you know, when I got up this morning, I didn't have goosebumps of feeling like I had the Holy Ghost all over me, but I came to church anyway. Well, I didn't come to church. How come? Well, I didn't feel like it. Well, none of us really feels like it all the time, but that's why you need to come. So the Holy Spirit is referred to as the great persuader. He persuades us. Not only does he convict the sinners, not only he calls them to the Father, but the third primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life as believers is to persuade us that we're righteous. Have you ever complimented someone only to have them question or argue your opinion? You ever done that? You, you meet somebody and you say, hey, I think you're losing weight. You look wonderful. And what do they reply with? I'm fat as a cow. I think you need glasses. Matter of fact, if I wore all white today at church, you'd go slow by and be looking at me. <laughs> Listen, if anybody would take the time to compliment you and encourage you, you just simply need to respond. I'm glad that you see something in me that evidently that I don't see in myself at the moment. And also, it's very rude and it's very wrong to be critical of another person's opinion. In fact, when you do that, you are calling that person a liar. I've said this a thousand times. I'll never flatter you 
but I often will praise you. Solomon talks about a flattering woman. We're not here to flatter you. I'm not here to make up stuff about you. I'm not going to say things just to make you feel good. I will tell you, if I say anything that is complimentary about it, I really mean it. I think you're, I think you're a great bunch of people. Most of you, I think you are. All of you, all of you. But when someone compliments you and say, hey, I think you're losing weight. I think you're looking good. I, I think, I think you're trimming up. I, I think there's, I think you don't, don't call them a liar. And the reason why that's so important, because if you're not careful, that as children of God, are we not guilty of doing the same thing to God? Because when he declares us righteous because of his son, Jesus Christ, then we are then we're righteous. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he had made him to be sin for us, which is sin offering, who know no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. That God, that he had his son Jesus become the sin offering. Sin offering. And because of the sin offering that Jesus proposed for us, and we accepted that, then we are declared the righteousness of God. And dakasuni is the word for righteousness. It means right standing, right place, right minded. We are right with God. Right. Because of Jesus. Not that she would do it, but you could tell Catherine, well, the song you sung Sunday, wow. It was so inspiring, and I sang it all week. And she could have said, nah, it was a train wreck. I bombed it. I got so off key, and I don't know how anybody could have been blessed through that musical mess. Once again, her response should be that thank you. It's just an honor for me to sing to God. You just happened to be here when I did it. Once again, that when someone is encouraging you and complimenting you and blessing you, we should never take it lightly. We should always say, thank you. I understand now the gift of the Holy Spirit is not about what I speak. It's about him refining your ears to hear. So if we're not careful dealing with we that are born again, that we have to understand that because of Jesus, we are declared righteous, period. No matter what you feel, no matter what, what, what you may have gone through your mind at the moment, we are declared righteous because that we put our trust into Christ and it is the righteousness of Christ that makes us righteous. And if there's any subject that will divide a Christian community, if there's any subject that will divide the church, it is the question of being righteous. If you remind Christians that they're righteous, like I, I'm trying to do you this morning, most of them will respond by reading the report card of last week's testings and their failures. So Gail and I kind of grew up in, in a church in basically the same. It's the sinners of God. It's okay. And um, I'm still going through therapy over it, but it's okay. 
But you, you'd go there and greet one another and we talk about the righteous. How you doing? And, and I mean, it was just, most of it was just all negative because they could never measure up. Your enemy will, will always distract you by you and your personal failures. But, but just because we personally fail doesn't exclude us from the fact that we are still righteous. And that's crazy. Now, keep in mind, there is sanctifying grace. There's a process of removing bits and pieces, and we've all talked about it. But it will take the full power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to persuade us of our position with Christ, not just our condition of Christ. We have been programmed to emphasize on our condition and not our position. Remember, you've heard me say this. Ephesians has six chapters. The first three is our position in Christ, who we are. If you haven't read this, you ought to read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And he'll tell you that you're seated with Christ. You are positioned with Christ. You are in right standing with Christ. From the foundation of the earth, he's predestinated you in Christ. Before you were even aware of it, that he has summoned you. And you're seated now with Christ right now. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Erebon is the word. It's a down payment. The Holy Spirit has made down payment on your life. You belong to God. Just because we haven't transferred on the, on the other side, we are still the property of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Erebon, you have made a down payment through the righteousness of God. You belong to God. You are the property of God. So you've heard me say that if, if we're not careful, that we combat people that are, that are careless with the things of God. We do that, but we do it with, 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 with gentle hands and kind words. And, but I will tell you that your condition is not the emphasis of what we do here. That we'll, we'll work on it, but it's who you are first. It'll take the, the, it will take the power of the Holy Spirit to convince you that you're righteous. So you've heard me say that, you know, you, you get your driver's license renewed every four years, six years. I don't know. I don't know. Ten years, eight years, but how Truman pulls you over? Anybody, you know, somebody got pulled over and they handed the driver's license. It's your name. But the police officer said, well, this driver's license says that you weighed 185 pounds. And I'm going to tell you right now, you don't weigh 185. So he pulls out a bathroom scale and said, here, step on this. <laughs> now, Don Ampler hadn't gained weight since his 14, but some of us, we put on a little weight. Your position is your identity, who you are. Your condition is around Thanksgiving and Christmas, we might have put on a few pounds. So the policeman doesn't say, well, it says right here in your driver's license that you won't weigh 85 and that scale says you weigh 205. That's not who you are. They don't do that. Well, I'm here to tell you as a Christian that from time to time, things change. Conditions change. Last week, everything was good at home. This week, not so good. Last week, everything was good in your heart and mind. This week, through trials and tribulations, things are not so good. So you could almost say, say well, I guess I'm not saved. Sure you are. Sure you are. It's in pretty good shape. It's a dollar. Agree? Yes. And, and the conditions of it pretty good shape, but it's a dollar. How many knows the condition is not very good, but how many knows it's still a dollar? 
It's still a dollar. It's still worth the same amount as it was when he just got off the press of the of the printer. Some of you this morning, you, you, you come in here and you feel like somebody's wadded you up and somebody said something, somebody done something to you. I understand and I'm sorry. And then somebody stepped on you. I'm sorry about that. And you feel like a wadded mess. But here's the deal. You have not lost your identity of your self-worth in Christ. And so you, you come in here with false humility. Oh, I'm not worthy. Well, you never was worthy, knucklehead. I mean, none of us was ever worthy. It was through the blood of Christ that made us worthy. So you've got to get your relationship with Christ out of the way of your condition. You are the righteousness of God. You've been saved by the blood of Christ. You're going through problems. Your mind's a mess. Your, your hair's a mess. Your home's a mess. Everything's a wreck and everything's going wrong, but it never has devalued or degraded one thing about your spiritual man through Christ Jesus. Amen. Period. And if you'll, if you'll just get that in your heart and mind, then, then your heart will notify your face that everything's all right. You know, how we go, you know, this is what Jesus did to me. This is what he'll do to you. Nobody wants that. My condition that it will vary from time to time. And it has in the last 30 something years. But who I am in Christ has never changed. Never. Never. I want to show you this morning one of the most funniest and odd scriptures in all the Bible. It's weird. It's funny, but it's weird. And I want you to know if you're kind of new here, I want to speak English to you. I'm not telling you that you can live like the devil and, and live your life any way you want to because you know that's not true. I'm not giving you a license to to to. To, to live carelessly and recklessly because if the Spirit of God is in you, everything's screaming in your life right now. I, I want to be better. I, I want to be the man that I'm not yet. I want to be the father that I, I'm failing to, to be right at the moment. I want to be the husband that I know that I can be. Everything in me is screaming because I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after righteousness. But it's not the righteousness for salvation. It's the righteousness to get my mind right and my life right and my family right and everything right around me. Because when he moves in me, I'm right. But I still have to work on dealing with other people and other stuff in my own life. When he moves into me, my heart is right. My cardio is right. But my mind is still messed up. And I know some of you are not like that, but. But you are. So is it possible for us to be righteous and still have problems? Absolutely. This is found in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It's one of the weirdest scriptures you'll ever read. Filthy conversation of the wicked. Verse 8. For that righteous man dwelleth among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. This is the most weirdest, 
verses in the entire Bible. This is dealing with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was, was a place well known for all types of, of sinful lust and desire between men and men and women and women. And we know about this. Here we go. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemn them and an overthrow making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. And verse 7 says, And just God delivered just Lot. Now, it doesn't mean only. The word just doesn't mean only. Dakio is a word in the Greek. It means innocent or justified. So Lot, which is Abraham's nephew, when they had a little conflict, Abraham said, you choose wherever you want to go. You can take your part of the herd and I'll take what's left. And Lot standing on the plains there and he hears the music in Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees the field growing to that high in wheat. He sees the fruit trees and he says, I think I'll go there. And when he got into the city limits, you know the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, and it is bad. It's full of homosexuality and perversion, and we know all about that. And Lot finds himself in a city and in a country and an environment that is everything against what's going on inside of his life. And the Bible says that God destroyed Solomon and Gomorrah, but, watch this, but he delivered just Lot, innocent Lot, justified Lot. And the next verse says this, for that righteous man, God calls Lot a righteous man. I wrote this, a right man in a wrong place, in a wrong environment, in a wrong marriage, in a wrong direction. But verse nine says, but the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of these temptations. Well, you don't understand before we go any further that the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, he said, what I'm going to do for you is for you and your family and your family's family and even your brother's son. Lot was justified and Lot was imparted the righteousness of God and the thinking of God through Abraham because they went together, they herded together, they, they, they were family together, and, and Lot was imparted the things of God through Abraham even though they was doing some things that he probably shouldn't have done. And when they separated, the things of God did not leave Lot just because he went to a wicked city. Lot went to a wicked city and he found himself in a very wicked city. He found himself in a very wicked environment. He found himself in a very wicked marriage. He found himself in a wicked society and everything around him was wicked, but something on the inside had not changed. Lot still was a righteous man. Amen. 
That's what the scripture says. You can't argue with that. You go, well, if he was righteous, why would he live there? Why do you live in Ardmore? You think Ardmore is this wonderful city? Hello. You think Valero is some perfect place to work? You think Michelin is a, a, is, a, is, a, is a spiritual city to work in? Absolutely no. We as God people that are righteous, we are forced to live among wicked people. You're forced to live in a wicked neighborhood. You're forced to live next door to somebody that really doesn't care if you know Jesus. You're forced to work with somebody who said, if, you, if, you, if I see you with another Bible, I'm going to knock you out. But here's the deal. You can be like Lot and you can live in a wicked city. You can have wicked in-laws. You can have a wicked boss. You could, have a, you could have a very horrible situation going on in your family right now, but here's the deal. God still calls you righteous. And he knows how to deliver us from evil things. Matter of fact, the last thing, 1 Peter 3 and 12 says, that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And he hears, he, he, and his ears are open unto their prayers. This morning, if there's anything that I can convince you, wicked society and government, our government is very wicked. Hebrew children, I think we just need to stand up when everybody else is bowing down and say, you know what? I'm forced to live here. I have to live here. I have to live in this type. But I'll tell you one thing, but I'm the righteousness of God and I'll never surrender to that line of thinking, that thought process, we will, we will stand for God. So it's possible, like us, to be like Lot. We live in a wicked town. We live in a wicked state. We live in a wicked government. We're surrounded by wickedness. I, I, I really wish the weatherman could prophesy the things of God and the news reporters and they had the Spirit of God and they'd speak in tongues and pray for everybody that went by the news camera, but that's not happening. But I will tell you one thing, God knows who we are. And he'll take care of us. The Holy Spirit here this morning reminds you that you are righteous. Someone's told you that you're not good enough. It's okay. God said you are. The church that Gala's family grew up in was United Pentecostal Holiness. The preacher would meet the women in the back door with the tape measure, make sure their dresses was three inches off the ground. Crazy. You got to get the makeup off. Got to put it on. Got to get that hair stacked up. You got to take it off. I don't know. It's crazy. All I know is Jesus said this. Father, they told me that I was a a wine bibber and glutton. They told me that all these things that, that I blaspheme you, what do you think? And he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus said, the rest of you, you can jump off the face of the earth. My father says he loves me. I can't persuade you this morning, but I need to remind you that the Holy Spirit is in your life right now to tell you, 
like he did Lot. You're a righteous person. You just happen to be in a mess right now. But he loves you. And God knows how to change things and deliver you out of that situation. Agreed? Father, this morning, I know for a fact that there's, there's all of us that we're just like old Lot. We made some decisions and we made some choices and we found ourselves in a mess. We had two options and we chose door number B and that was really the wrong door to choose. And now then because of that choosing that we're suffering the consequences, but we know one thing that we may be in a, in a, in a wicked town, in a wicked society, in a wicked place and surrounded by wicked people on my job and in the neighborhood and everywhere we turn, there's corruption and evilness everywhere. But we know one thing, that because of Christ, we are the righteousness of God. And you know how to deliver us. Father, this morning for everyone today that has ever doubted their relationship with you, would you please persuade them by the Holy Spirit that your son Jesus is enough. The blood that he shed was enough. And whatever that we're going through today is probably some things we cannot change. But I'm just so thankful today that we have hold of an unchanging hand, which is Christ our Lord. So let us leave this place this morning. Let us go out declaring the good news that Christ is Lord of all and His grace is enough. If you're here this morning, you've never really made a personal commitment to Christ, then, then this is what happens. Then the first twofold of the Holy Spirit is really working in your life. Number one, for the first time maybe ever that you're, you understand that your life needs changing and only Christ can change it. So by that this morning, let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let repentance be instilled in your life. Let the Holy Spirit draw you to the Father. And for the rest of us, they will continue. Let the Holy Spirit persuade us that we belong to him. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Stand with me this morning. Give the Lord a praise offering. If you're righteous this morning, give the Lord a praise offering, huh? Turn about two people and say, hey, you're looking good. I think you're losing weight. My goodness. Woo-wee. Now say thank you. Glad you noticed. You're redeemed. You're righteous. You're accepted in the beloved. You are the object of God's love. All these things, he's telling you, he loves you more than lunch. How can he love me? I've failed miserably. He loves you. Man. And one of the greatest stories that we have is that night as we take Holy Communion is that He gathered these men and they laid their report cards on the table and they were all F's. They were fighting that night. 
they had doubt and fears that night and spiritually laid laid all the report cards on that table that night at that last supper and they all had F's. But Jesus took them all up and tucked them into his vesture and he said, but I'm more than enough. We celebrate Holy Communion every week because really what this is about is about the worthiness of Christ in our lives. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. Father, we're gonna run into you and your son this morning. We feel exactly what Lot felt like. We don't belong here. We're in a strange land. Times have changed. We feel like that we're out of place. This is not the same country we lived in 20 years ago. Things have shifted, but we're still righteous. That night, the Lord gathered his disciples and he took the bread and the cup. And, and as you well know, that he lifted up the cup and the bread. And he took the bread and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover. This bread represents the the manna that fell from heaven. And he said that your fathers did eat of it and they did hunger. But Jesus said in John 6, but he said, I am the bread of life. And if any man would eat of me, he would never hunger again. And they took the bread. And he lifted up the cup and he said, this cup is, is symbolic of the lamb's blood that was shed on the first Passover. And they took that blood and and they placed it upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. And that dreadful night when the death angel, the Abaddon would come to destroy, that it would pass over when he saw the blood upon the post. And he said, I am now the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my Father will now take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. And for those that believe in me, will have everlasting life. This morning, we celebrate the bread and the cup again. And it reminds us of the righteousness that Christ gave us. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. And we give you thanks in Christ Jesus' name.